The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially crazy. dominant. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Now we're going to talk some hurling to do so. Very happy to say we're joined on the line by eight-time All-Ireland winner, Eddie Brennan. Hey, Eddie. Good evening, Joe. How's the form? Nice to be able to say eight-time, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, to, to one name I was never really called too long, but uh, it was more Edward. If, if I was called Edward, I knew I was in trouble. So that's that's the only... the only uh, You got your official title when you were in trouble at home. Let's start with Limerick Waterford then because everybody was very curious to see what Limerick was going to turn up post-league and everybody was curious to see uh, how Waterford would pitch up post-league and then they weren't maybe themselves against uh, Tipperary. So what did we see? What's your takeaway from this game? Um, I suppose it's it may be in between a little bit because I think everyone points to the fact that Limerick lost, you know, ha- after eight or nine minutes, they were down four All-Stars after, you know, they're all Ireland winning teams in Keane Lynch, you know, Flanagan, Kyle Hayes and Peter Casey. And I think they kind of looked at it and said, well, Watford even couldn't, you know, do the business without those four guys. But um, if I'm in Liam Cal's shoes, you know, you're, you're obviously a little bit disappointed. But in the broader scheme of things right here, right now, and obviously qualification is his priority and you want to get qualified as quickly as you can because Munster can be just an absolute minefield. But I think overall... If there's a time you want to take take the Limerick scalp, it's maybe not that. That's after the match when you haven't succeeded. You can comfort yourself a small bit in that. But I think they've closed the gap. I think they, a little bit of decision-making. You know, you talk about even freeze. I think Stephen Bennett possibly missed three frees, maybe four. And that can be significant then in a match when the margins are so fine. But, uh, you know, you, you just once again, Limerick answered the questions. Um, and we'll probably get into that in a few seconds. But... Yeah, look, overall with Watford, um, they're close. Uh, physically, they fronted up. I think it was a great match. I really enjoyed the physical aspect of it. I think there was one or two comments maybe said about that maybe Sean Stack missed one or two things, but I think Sean Stack done a really good job considering the pace and the intensity at which the match was played at. Yeah, very little time in the ball for anyone, which is great, is what you want. Oh, yeah, it was just real, uh, real championship stuff. I mean, if you got this... In a, in a Munster final or a knockout championship match, uh, you're gone home a very satisfied customer having paid your ticket into a match like that. So I thought it was um, really enthralling match, the energy levels. And I think, you know, for both teams, probably their second match in seven days, I would imagine there was a lot of sore bodies uh, come Sunday morning and, and, and the recovery, obviously, knowing that there's a, there's a little bit of a break for them, uh, you know, for the next uh, 14 days or whatever it is. Something very impressive about the Limerick resolve. You mentioned the injury situation. No Kyle Hayes, Seamus Flanagan, Peter Casey, and then they lose Keane Lynch after just nine minutes. So that's a big blow. I mean, we've talked about Limerick's depth over the last couple of weeks and, and questioned how much depth there is. But that's a pretty hefty amount of all-stars to suddenly be without. And right throughout the game, when Waterford pegged back in the second half level scores on 53 minutes, and I think at that stage you were thinking, oh, this could be maybe on here Limerick Waterford are, are sticking with them physically then Limerick just seemed to find another gear seven unanswered points and the game feels over on 62 63 minutes and then Waterford come again in fairness to them they come again they score two goals all the momentum they're within a single point now often at that stage of a game when a team maybe feels they're at the gap seven points up and they get 
goal, goal, uh, they're shell-shocked. And, and often the team with momentum goes on to see it out. But again, Limerick almost at will. Steady, they respond with the next two points. They win by three. And in some respects, I feel like three points puts a sheen on that scoreboard for Waterford. I think seven, eight points is more reflective of the gap between the sides. But talk to us about that Limerick ability to, you know, go seven unanswered points and then withstand the two goals. There's something very impressive about that. Yeah, I think um, they're, they're probably their in-game awareness is quite good. And I think what it is, is there's, there's probably ultimate trust in each other because they, they never seem to panic. Um, you know, they know that one player is going to come up with a big play and, you know, with the injuries, you know, Galan delivers a phenomenal performance. Hegarty, uh, despite the fact that he was going toe-to-toe with almost three or four different water fellas, he's still able to pick off his points. He's still able to you know, find a moment where he just breaks out. Um, you know, and then for me, probably the the standout thing and, and what really impressed me was, I think, Conor Boylan and uh, Carl O'Neill, you know, two young guys, 20, 21 years of age. Boylan starts and he just uh, is in the middle, in the tick of all the physical action. I mean, at one stage, I think in the second half, he's going forward and there's a Warford ladder very close behind him and he just runs into two of them and he drives them flying. And he still finds a way to win a ball. So, Carl O'Neill, you know, I suppose some people maybe said, you know, he had one or two wides. I was so impressed with the fact that he persisted in taking his shots. And I think that's the type of stuff that a manager loves to see with a young lad coming in. But it's ultimately both of their appetites for work. And and that transfers, people wonder, where does that come out of? That comes from your training field. I would imagine the internal matches in Limerick are phenomenal at the moment. Um, I'd imagine they're knocking lumps out of each other. I'd love to see it because that doesn't happen by fluke when you get into the championship field because ultimately training and what you do on the training field prepares you for what you're going to experience in the championship match. It doesn't shock you. It's nothing new. So the intensity of the Limerick training sessions and obviously they're, they're just relentless and uh, drive their appetite for work and obviously their belief in each other now. This comes from winning, Joe. So when you win a couple of All-Irelands, and you're under the pump in a match and you're under pressure and you deal with, you know, they were two big blows they took to, 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 to cough up two goals like that. And again, there were the second goal in particular was just class, a real war for goal. And it suddenly puts the game in the mix. But again, you know, come with the hour, come with the men. I thought for me, in the, at that point in the match, it was probably the likes of Hannon. Hannon just said, look, not today. And, and I thought he was absolutely brilliant as well, uh, ably assisted by Burns. And do you agree or disagree that three points maybe flatters water for the touch? Are they that close to Limerick? Uh, yeah, I suppose <laughs> if, if this was the All Ireland final and, and, and Waterford managed to pinch it, you know, I suppose that that thing goes out the window a fraction because it's the results. But yeah, no, I, I, I do. I, I take your point on board and say Limerick were probably just seeing it out and maybe just look, took their eye off the ball for a split second. I think that's something that Kylie will probably want to address. But you are up against a quality outfit, and and I think if there's one thing Watford equally, they didn't they didn't fall there when that match looked to be slipping away from them, and, and you know missed a few wides. So yeah, I, I think maybe four or five points is probably in around it. But uh, at the same time, um, you know I think from Watford, yeah, aspects they are disappointed with, but I think uh, we're, we're definitely looking at probably a, a little bit of a. You know, definitely there's a there's a trilogy possibly in the mix here at yeah. some stage. Maybe this year we could be seeing that. But definitely, I think these are two teams that are on a collision course at some point this year they're going to meet again. And look, if it is maybe four or five points as opposed to the three points at the weekend, 
that's still a big improvement on the 11 point gap of the All Ireland final of 2020 and last year's semi final. So they are making headway in that respect. You know, the way you talked there about your sense of the Limerick training sessions, that the matches would be, I suppose, akin to what we would have said about your team at Nolan Park under Cody. For those matches to work and catch fire, I suspect a few things have to happen. One, Cody, or in this case, John Kiley, leaves his whistle in his back pocket. Everybody has to understand this is full bore, we're going at it. And and then the question I had for you, to what extent do you need 30 really elite players? Like, do those, can those matches work if you maybe have 20 and then a big drop-off with the next 10 or 12? Because I would, I would assume it's pretty hard to get 30 of a certain level. Yeah, no, I think that's the key point there, Joe. Um, I'd imagine John Kiley and, 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 and Paul Kinnerk and Co would want the lads to just go at it, hammer and tongs and say, look, lads, in match situations... Uh, we'll play then when the ref decides to blow the whistle. But other than that, we want to be the ones dictating the terms of engagement. We want to be the ones going in there. And ultimately, and I mean this to respect, you're not looking for protection off the ref. You're not looking for assistance from a ref. You're just going, the match has to be played on our terms. So that was that was something that we would have often spoken about, regardless of what the opposition bring. We have to play the match on our terms. And for that, there has to be a, a huge appetite. But the key point in that, Joe, is, and you touched on it there, is the application of your guys who are uh, the 16, 17, 18, 19, all the way up to 31, 32. Um, and I think where that comes from and how you get that maybe is that if you have one or two stragglers that come in there and they do the sums and they're not buying into the whole squad ethos, I think they have to be removed quickly enough because you have to have guys in there that are all vying for a spot. And again, I know sometimes you look at Limerick say, the more ourselves you have a settled 15 and sometimes players and rightly so look at it and go oh god i don't think i can get in there but you know they may be 19 20 21 so they're playing for a future career and i would imagine that in the one-on-one chats that they're the ones where john kiley is dangling that carriage in front of these guys and saying you know there's opportunities here and, and i heard him use the, the the term in his interview after the match it's next man up when somebody gets injured and what you're saying to your players is if you aren't ready, if you aren't at the pitch on the training ground night after night, when we watch you and we're watching what you're doing nice and silently to see, are you ready and into our consideration? Well, when that call comes the day of a championship, like it did for Cahill O'Neill after nine minutes, hmm. and you're not ready and you're not dialed in, suddenly the ship sinks. And suddenly the, it breaks down. And so, like, the 30th guy isn't going to be as skillful as a frontline player could you live with that like was that that was okay once the application and the work rate was there because you couldn't expect everybody to be you know have all-star hurling skills or did you did you need the 30th guy to be nearly as skillful I know you see I, I suppose it depends what your training session is about you could have a tactical training session where maybe the uh, intensity levels or the, the, the gears you're not going up through the gears you're just kind of getting maybe some walkthrough stuff on movements and how you create space and all that but if you are setting the tone for an internal match, you're probably setting the tone a couple of days out. Uh, and what you maybe don't need fully is you don't need uh, a beautiful exhibition game of hurling. Right. All you need is 33 or 34 guys that are coming in and they're ready to just, I suppose, take each other's lives on the pitch within the context of a match yeah. where no stupidity applies. But all you want off of them is that it's, you know, and I suppose quickly, I'll, Peter Barry used to say, when we were training, he said, I hated when we had an internal match and the forwards were flying and scoring heavily. Whereas the match where we had 111 to 13 and it was a grunt and it was ugly almost, that's when you know your intensity levels are good. Mm. 
And when you say set the tone a few days out for an internal match, what does that involve? Does Brian Cody send out a WhatsApp or a group text message to say internal match Thursday, seven o'clock? Is that all he needs to say? <laughs> um, no, but uh, it, it would be unlike it. I think it would be, you know, your, your training plan is, you know, guys are getting their training schedule ahead. And players too will quickly spot, well, the Friday week, maybe before a championship match. And obviously when you're in the current format, you don't get that privilege. Like I said, you're there. Mm. You don't get to play those internal matches. So the team sometimes can, you know, there might be an opportunity to jump in. But you would probably set it at least a week or two in advance. Say, look, lad, you're earmarking two different days. And maybe on the Tuesday night of a skill session or something like that, you're saying, look, lads, Friday night, it's a full internal match. You land into training and you might be siphoned towards two different dressing rooms, two sets of jerseys. And it just creates an old edge to train. And then lads are coming in and there's a, and they're looking across. This is the part probably is that's important is you're looking across and saying, am I with the probables or the possibles? Or is it a general mix? Yeah. And that can sometimes really add a nice edge to the training session. And which were feistier, uh, probables versus possibles or a mix? Um, I think probably if you want to get a real edge to it, it's probably the possibles against the probables. And it depends then what happens. But if the if the possibles uh, you know don't come out and, and maybe sometimes uh, the the manager will go with those and try really prod those guys in some ways or else the two coaches um, I just recall one occasion with Leash where you know I might have gone with the probables and Tommy and Niall went with the possibles and they really poked the lads mm. and they came out and they just polished the boys you know so so that type of scenario is what you're you're looking for and ultimately. You don't want it to descend into stupidity, yeah. but you really, that's how, that's how, in my experience, you got that edge to your internal match. And so paint me a picture here. Uh, I'm imagining Jackie Tyrrell marking you and a ball goes in <laughs> and he absolutely goes through you. It's a hospital pass. He takes you out. It is uh, beautiful. And then he stands on your hand for good measure. And you look over to Brian Cody and say, is that not a free? What happens then? Uh, yeah, well, usually you didn't look at Brian because there was no point. You, you yeah. knew the answer you were going to get. And uh, I suppose I, I do. I've been a, I remember one evening being on the receiving end of a hospital pass and, and Jackie was a bit closer to me than I would have liked uh, on a ramen mission. And so I literally ended up just not catching the ball, trying to slap it straight back and protect myself to, to dilute the hit somewhat. But... Um, yeah, look, I think there's an element of that that that, that comes with it. And, and I suppose quickly, we were up in a training camp in Wexford one year where Jackie and Richie Hogan had a famous bit of a cut in and there was a bit of slapping and belting going on off the ball. And I remember at halftime when Brian pulled it in, there was just a general warning and he kind of said to the two lads, Jackie, Richie, cut it out. It's just, it's stupidity and you're going to get sent off. The problem was Jackie was gone to the toilet. He never heard the warning and it just returned to round two when the match started again. <laughs> Oh dear, great times. Yeah, good good times, all right. It, it might have felt it at the time, but uh, look, it was it was where you get your edge. Um, again, in those same matches, I recall another evening looking out, myself and Michael Cavanagh in the corner, really good friends, and there was just a tension to it. There was no talk on outsiders. You had Tommy and Henry, and I think at one stage the two of them were rolling around the grounds, and the ball came into us unexpectedly. So, uh, you know, we didn't get to enjoy the spectacle that was going on in front of us. Mm. 
God, it must have been amazing, though, to be part of that, to be looking around. And uh, and by the way, sorry, I, I retract the Jackie standing on your hand part. That was just needlessly uh, <laughs> cynical. He would. He, I, would. he would do that. OK, well, you can say that. You could say that. Uh, but it must have been amazing to look around. And I'd say you almost felt blessed to be surrounded by these absolute winners that on a Friday internal match, they're going at it with the same intensity as you. You've got a manager like Cody who's driving it on. I mean... Ma, you must be, you like a deep kind of satisfaction driving home afterwards, or in the dressing room afterwards, or chatting about it. You know, afterwards when you all come together again and make friends, like that's a that's a pretty special environment that you won't always have. No, it is, and and I suppose at the time you maybe don't you don't get to enjoy that as much as you do. But you know, I've seen the Limerick lads, you know, in the aftermath of of their successes recently. You know, even you know there was a bit of fist pumping going on with them. You know, last weekend. So there's a good spirit there. There's a real there's a real bond among them, and and, and that's what we had too. We were very fortunate. But I suppose um, yeah, there was always that kind of real sore, tired satisfaction. Yeah. But you knew coming off the field, you were ready. And I think that was the big thing with us. We knew we were ready. That whatever the opposition threw at us, we were ready. There was nothing going to shock us. There was nothing going to be left fields. Um, and I think obviously the key to that though. And, and, and we know in sport, unfortunately, 15, and you have your few after that. Mm. But those, you know, you, that wouldn't happen unless those, you know, the other guys apply themselves wholeheartedly. And I suppose that's the, the, the maybe the cruel side of sport sometimes is that yeah. you enter into that context and into that kind of environment with no guarantees and there's no guarantees that everyone can get game time. But obviously, uh, the, the collective is obviously the the important thing and that's probably the trick with a lot of teams is to get to that position and Limerick look as if mm. they're in that position and, 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 and it's working for them Yeah I'm sure a lot of unsung heroes behind the scenes that we don't see much of on the pitch Just one last yeah. point on this Limerick-Waterford dynamic the whole country really feels like as you said this could be a trilogy certainly or maybe if it's not a Munster final then certainly a meeting down the line maybe an All-Ireland final and you do very well to listen to any podcast or read any uh, piece now which which doesn't say oh well look Waterford aren't going to beat them twice or Waterford aren't going to beat them three times they, like, so it's, it's a good thing they haven't beaten them and I've even heard you know suggestions that they might be better off not playing them in the Munster final you know that once now and, and get them later on because that'll be their, their best chance I, like, I'm looking at it from the outside. I find this very strange. Like I, <laughs> I would have thought you want as many cracks of them as possible, and you want you do want to beat them in a monster final. You want to plant as much doubt as you possibly can in Limerick minds, land a psychological blow, and then you beat them again in the All Ireland final. I, I don't. I, I find it hard to accept that if you were to beat Limerick in a monster final, it would lessen your chances further down the line. And yet, it's what so many people in the game are saying. Uh, can you give us your sense of, of that dynamic? And even from both sides, I mean, you've been with Kilkenny, you've been the Limerick. So I presume you wanted to beat other teams early and often and, and keep reminding them that you're the best. So your sense of this dynamic about this trilogy and, 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 and what suits Waterford? Yeah, well, I suppose the, 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 the trilogy may not come to pass this sure. year. It could be down the line. But yeah, no, I, I, your point is, is, is spot on. I think if, if, if I'm the Waterford, I mean, we, we might be saying that from maybe the outside the Limerick camp and saying, Jesus, this might be the only way because we're looking at Limerick and seeing where are those cracks? Where are you going to get at them? Because they, they keep answering the questions and, and they're impressive. Uh, but I think I would be agreeing with you on that. I think if you're the challenger like that, you want to put a little doubt in their heads. You want to push that they suddenly now go home after a Munster final licking their wounds 
saying, oh God, these lads have, they've closed the gap and now they've taken us and they've, they've beaten us on a big day. They've, they've taken a Munster title off us. And now you're kind of worried about them. And yeah, you come back afterwards and you say, right, we'll figure out or we'll, we'll analyze them or whatever. But I think if you're, if you're Waterford, you now need to know that we're capable of beating these guys. We're close to beating these guys, but now we'd like to do the job on them. And now we'd like to, to, to beat them a second time. And I think that has to be the mentality of, of Waterford. And I think Liam Cal would very much look at it that way. So um, I understand people saying that, but I think if I'm in Waterford shoes right now, I want to beat these guys. I want to put a little doubt and start exposing a few, you know, try find a few little cracks, mm. find places that we can go after. But yeah, to, to finish the point then and say, if I'm in Limerick's position, oh, you just want to keep, you want to keep opposition afraid. You want to keep opposition almost psychologically uh, beaten before they come on the pitch that they're kind of going, this, you know, you hear the narrative in family and friends and geez, this, this Limerick team can't be beaten. Mm. I think that's what you will enjoy if you're in their position because they have the experience and maybe look, some team is possibly going to take them out whenever that will be. But I think if you're in that, that position and, and again, I just, from my own experiences, yeah. you are at the top of that ladder and you just want to keep pushing the lads back as long as you can, because it will be over at some stage for them, whenever that is. And, and, and like I said there, you said to me about the good times of they're gone now and it's a, it's a distant memory and it's a great memory. But ultimately when you finish your career, you look back on it and say, okay, geez, I'd love to have you know done a little bit more. And that's the way I think Limerick look like at the moment. They have to hoover up as much as they can and you keep opposition uh, afraid of you and, and psychologically beaten as long as you can or psychologically worried or doubting themselves as long as you can. That is how you'll continue to succeed. Yeah. Traumatised. I think that's what she did to a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Claire, 321, Tipperary, 216. Eight-point win. Should be said it, it was a 16-point gap at halftime. I saw in the Irish Independent you were writing your piece and it's very clear you were massively disappointed in Tipperary. You said that they were bullied in their own backyard. It was a toothless display. They now have Limerick on Sunday week. You'd kind of pretty much write them off there. Uh, they are at a real low ebb. They're, they're in transition both in personnel and playing style. Yeah, I think, um, like I said, they are look always uh, for me and again, our, our own experiences. And I know I've, I've been fortunate enough to play in Turles and and run into some massive, massive challenges up there. And there's, there's obviously that, that, that respect that there is, like you, you get a competitive, but they just, they just, um, they just lacked cohesion and stuff like that. And I suppose they put a lot into the Warford match and maybe they could have done with, you know, getting a, a 14 day window to prepare for this match because there was so much riding on it in the space of seven days with a young team, it has to be said, and, and, and devoid of a lot of experience, but nonetheless, um, I think. They just they, they didn't seem to have a, a real purpose about them, and um, you know, like say for Carl Barris and, and Craig and, and Morgan, I thought like there were two guys that just you know, and th- and that's what you want from lads, that's what you want from from people, um, and you'd be worried about them now because you know from obviously from a tip perspective, but um, and it's very easy you know in the aftermath to to, to say that and, and and go through it in a post mortem and 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 take maybe you know, the, the easy narrative with stuff like that. But I think the, the, the signs are worrying for Tip at the moment is that they just seem a little bit rudderless. And, you know, you'd say for Colin Bonner, he's definitely, I don't think people, you know, should or could turn on him. I don't think that would be fair. But um, he definitely has uh, a big 12 months ahead of him. Come what may in two weeks' time against Limerick. But 
Um, I'm not sure uh, too many Tipperary supporters are very confident heading down to Limerick. Uh, I think it's in Limerick in, in two weeks' time, the 8th of May, and, and we spoke about this there in the lead into it, that this is, a ma- this is potentially a massive match. Now it's Tipperary have to save their year, and uh, you'd have to say now uh, a lot is going to happen, need to happen for them to, to resurrect that, because Limerick are going down there uh, bringing Tip into their backyard to secure probably a place in the Munster final. As for Clare then, not spoken about very much in advance of the championship. Most of the reports across the winter were about county board officials at war with club delegates and it all seemed like a fairly miserable situation down there. And I suppose, look, if you were to be really brutal about Clare, there is a sense that this team came, they won their Oral Ireland in 2013. It was an odd year in some respects and their their playing style was very innovative and caught a few on the hop and they've never really backed it up in any meaningful way and I think most of the country have written them off as unlikely to back it up and that's just where they are and therefore they're not discussed all that much. Yeah, I think it's a fair point and, and, and look, it, there's a lot of water gone under bridge now since 2013 and, and a nice few of that team have, have moved on mm. but I think Brian Lowen has probably brought a few of the real stalwarts of that there like Davy Mack has had his injury problems over the last couple of seasons he looks really fit now again he looked really good last Sunday John Conlon is still there Tony Kelly without ever having a real Tony Kelly performance uh, and Peter Duggan has obviously returned and Shane O'Donnell so mm. you have a couple of good leaders there but I think what, what has impressed me about Brian Lowen is that he has gone about this he has managed to keep the boardroom stuff and the mumblings and the noise that he has had to deal with. And I think he has to deal with a lot of stuff that was very difficult for him uh, and continue to keep the boys focused on what they're about. I think what he has probably instilled in that group, I think it's a very a very good achievement and keep them as tuned in as they are and as, as, as hurling as well as they are at the moment uh, and over the last couple of seasons. But I suppose, um, yeah, they have, I, I suppose in our preview two or three weeks ago, I did say that if there was to be a bolter, I felt it might well have been them. And they have put themselves in a good position now because uh, if they go along and and uh, inflict another blow against the the second, uh, you know, big team in Munster, you know, from a silverware point of view down through the history, you know, they have an opportunity to put a little bit of light between them and uh, you know, Tipperary and, and Cork next week and, mm. you know, put themselves in a very strong position to advance. But, um, yeah, look, they they probably haven't delivered as much as they would have liked, uh, considering those 321 All-Irelands. But uh, at the same time, I think Brian Lohan has done a good job over the last couple of seasons. And I think now he has them in a position where they're ready to maybe have a cut. And look, if uh, if Limerick are coming into their yard in their final match, which I think is the is the draw, that would be a very interesting game as well because mm. it could be the match that brings Clare back in if Limerick are secure. But if Limerick weren't uh, and Limerick have to go to Ennis, that 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 has possibly a Titanic game written all over it. Interesting, Clare went with the long puck out against Tipperary, and you know yeah. possession is king at the moment. But they were going long. Yeah, which is unusual. And uh, I I just looked at that. I think two. I think uh, Quilligan delivered two to the his own sixty five, and then after that there was four or five to the twenty one. Other than that. Everything was 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 fired down on top of Tip, and I think they they attacked an area that maybe Tip had got good strength or had good good returns against Watford in the high puckouts down to the half back line, 
and they placed, you know, a mix of really good, lively fellas there and a couple of big fellas as well. So, um, but ultimately it was their work rate. You know, when the ball, you know, got to grounds and he was able to deliver long to Duggan on the edge of the square too, just on the edge of the D, I think he hit him a good few times. They just seemed to have a work ethic about them around there. And uh, also what impressed me was, you know, you have two big guys down the spine. It's a little bit traditional the way Brian Lone is playing, but it worked very effectively. Fitzgerald at centre forward and Duggan at full and a couple of smaller lads moving around outside him. Hmm. And you had, you know, uh, I think Dermot Ryan coming up the field, you know, another big unit uh, picking off a couple of points. So uh, they have a they have a, a good setup in place. But I think where I would really like to see the value of that is going to be maybe against Cork this weekend, but yeah. particularly in the last match against Limerick and how they set up, say, will they go after him in the same area? Because that is the area that Limerick have a real strong uh, setup is their half-back line. And if they're going to go toe-to-toe with Limerick uh, there, I think that's going to be an intriguing one. And hopefully there'll be something at stake. Mm. And Eddie, a word on Cork Clare, Semple Stadium, 2 o'clock Sunday. Waterford showed there is a good way to lose to Limerick. And Cork showed how there is a completely demoralising way to lose to Limerick. Problems in the defence have been well flagged and they weren't solved. And the space that we saw allowed for the Limerick goals is just you got your head in your hands if you're a Cork supporter I think the game probably just would have uh, copper fastened in the in the Cork players minds and everybody watching that they just don't have the size to compete with Limerick and for like a day one of the championship when you're all Ireland finalists and you're trying to go again it was such a stark unavoidable reminder of the gap and I, you could just see if they're not careful here against Clare you could just see, I mean the backside could fall out of their season because it was such a demoralising loss yeah, it is, and I think it's it's a very simple approach. Uh, they know what they're going to get with Clare. Clare are going to come with, uh, you know, they're they're happy in Turles. They they got a good gallop out there, you know, two days ago. So Turles for any team, that's no issue. Same for Cork. Cork will surely enjoy coming to Turles. But I think the 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 bottom line for Cork, and you can dress it up whatever way you like. They have to front up. They have to man up. They have to get stuck in. They have to win the physical battles because. Limerick and Waterford and, and other teams like that and, and Kilkenny and the Galways of this world when they hit the the knockout championship, you have to go in where it hurts. And and you can have lovely tactical stuff when you do get your hands on the ball and you there's a certain way you want the game to play. But I think, uh, as I said about Clare, I think uh, Kieran Kingston you know, will know if he looks ahead what he's going to get off a Brian Lowen team and what he's going to get off this Clare team very, very simply and if Cork don't roll up the sleeves and be willing to go in where it hurts uh, next Sunday, their season is going to hang by a thread because mm. Clare, Clare, that's what Clare do. They have Hurland, there's no doubt about that. But they are going to, you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to go in and, uh, and win that dirty ball, be willing to have, you know, take hits, take belts and, and do that without, uh, without losing your focus. Uh, before we wrap up, much of the build up to the weekend is going to be about Galway Kilkenny for obvious reasons Pierce Stadium uh, 2 o'clock Sunday you're pretty uniquely placed to tell us about the dynamic here between Cody and Sheffin what would you have said about their relationship as coach player I'd say they had you know I suppose no more than a lot of us uh, you know I personally feel that Henry would have had a very very strong relationship with Brian um, and again look I suppose the one thing I'd say Brian never really had too many favourites in there and and if they were we didn't know about it because uh, he, he generally in fairness to him treated us all very very evenly but I'd say that if there was anyone there to be the the, 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 
the special son maybe or the guy for a little bit of extra treatment it was probably Henry to a point but ah, look, uh, I look I suppose I say that tongue in cheek but no look they had they had a they had a very good relationship um, but again I think with what's you know coming there this weekend I think it's it's just business for both of them um, but I think there is there is going to be a little dynamic to that because uh, you know Brian Cody just loves challenges he loves you know, he loves what he's doing and he will look at this, you know, they're going to Pierce Stadium next Sunday knowing that if they can get a win, they're they're good, they're in a really strong position now to see out the Leinster campaign. And if he does, if he doesn't, um, in doing so, if he wins, he's going to put Galway under massive pressure. And I said it there earlier on the week, I believe this is a must win for Henry uh, or this Galway team. They, they have to win the match uh, because otherwise uh, it now puts them in a real quagmire with, with other teams and knowing that Dublin are in the last rounds and they may well have to win that then, it just puts a little bit of pressure on them. But uh, I'm just looking forward to, I suppose, we, we, we'd love to see manager cam for this match <laughs> and just see our sideline cam or something like that. But no, look, I, I, I don't think there's, a, there's no fear of sparks or anything of, of the sort. I don't think anyway, because I think the two boys have too much respect for each other. Uh, they will focus on what's important. And they won't create a sideshow that's going to distract their players. Would you have been considered one of Cody's favourites? Uh, I might take the fifth on that one. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I don't know. I look, Brian Cody was very good to me over the years, but uh, look, his approach to me, I suppose, at times was uh, I, I needed a bit of tight marking at times, and I make no bones about that. And, and Brian, uh, I think Brian knew that as well, and. Uh, I'll definitely say on reflection, hand on heart, that uh, th- that's what works for me. <laughs> Fair enough. And when you say, you know, Shefflin had a special place in his heart. So Shefflin's this unbelievable player, obviously. So we can we can see the, the greatness on the field. I, I, presumably it goes beyond that. Was there something about Shefflin's personality or his work rate or his dedication? Cody respected. Would he maybe, would you, you know, are, are you talking about almost um, in the warm-ups where if Cody's having a quiet word with anyone, it'd be more likely to be Shefflin than others, do you suspect they were talking more outside of training? But what is it that leads you to kind of say that maybe Shefflin was one of his favourites? I think it was because Henry, uh, I think if, 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 and I maybe said this before, if I put Henry Shefflin, Richie Hogan, TJ Reid, Richie Power maybe in a category and say we're going to analyse them, I think without a doubt um, the other three might have been a fraction more naturally talented, we'll say. But what Henry Shefton had, and don't get me wrong, he had loads of talent. But what he had more than anything was uh, an attitude and an application to work. And he was relentless in that in terms of the injuries he came back from. And I think what Brian Cody would always say, and he said to us, hurling is hurling, guys, and, and, and you're in here because you're able to hurl. I would be able to put the ball over the bar if you gave it to me on my own. But it's ultimately how hard you work. And there was matches there where Henry Shefton just literally took grabbed Kilkenny by the scruff of the neck and dragged him along with him. You know, Galway in 2012 in the drawn match, in yeah. the second half he'd done that. Uh, 2007 against Galway again, I remember him at centre forward, he just fronted up Watford 2008. It was matches like that where Henry Sheffin just outworked and I'd say even privately when he was recovering from injuries, we won't know half the stories about what he'd done and, and, and how hard he worked. And I think that's one thing that Brian Cody really respects in any player and you know maybe Tommy to to that extent as well. Just mm. they they just had a competitive nature in them, 
and uh, a relentlessness in pursuit of what they want to achieve. And, and would Cody have, say, a cut off in the dressing room? I, I, I asked that, uh, for instance, Alex Ferguson famously, if he wanted Ronaldo to stop dribbling so much, he'd point to Rooney next to him and say, you and stop dribbling so much, Rooney. Or equally, if he wanted Ronaldo to work harder, he might point to Giggs and say, you need to bloody work harder. Uh, would he use Shefflin in that way? No, not really. Um, I think one thing Brian Cody always did was he trusted our hurling. He trusted our abilities, our skills and stuff like that. He, he you know, he, he would have very, you know, definitely categorised that and, and took that as a given in terms of you're able to hurl. That's why you're in here. Mm. But ultimately, you know, he had a little saying that was mean, hungry, ruthless uh, people was what he wanted in his team. He said, I want the guys that are going to go in and get hurt. Mm. And I think that's, he would have always brought it back to simple stuff when he went, like when he wanted to, to poke us a little bit, that that was the stuff he wanted. He did not want magic off any of us. Okay. But he just expected that that was where it was. And I think, you know, Henry was that. I think it, it, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, and I can safely say hands and heart there were guys in that restroom that inspired me because of that type of action. So they're the kind of lads that they're not talking, yeah. but by their actions, they drag you along with them. And you see him going in there and maybe mixing it up with two or three opposition players and you kind of go, no, he can't be left in there on his mm. own. And, and that was the way it was. And that's the stuff that, that Brian Cody put such a value on. That is his currency. Yes. And he would, that, that is just, there's a no compromise on that. And I think sometimes when, you know, I think of guys that came and went out of the panel, that was the way it was. Maybe they're, they're, they're work rate and they're, their uh, their application just wasn't where he wanted it, and and once he got that, the the hurling would take over. That if you went in and you worked and got the ball, then your hurling instincts take over, and off you go and you do what you do. Do you feel like your values as a manager have been shaped by that experience under Cody, and therefore do you think Shefflin is very much forged through the the the, the Cody school? Like I, you can't look at Martin O'Neill and not see Clough. Do you think you and Shefflin, do you, like, are you formed in the image of Cody or are you different, do you suspect? Um, you'd probably be different in your own. Like, I mean, obviously, everyone, you have to have your own philosophy. I, you know, I can't be Brian Cody and I can't be Henry Shefflin either and, and vice versa. I think you obviously have to put your own spin on things. But you are a product of your environment, you know, and, and you can put it down to say it's, it's learned behaviour. You know, what you're exposed to, the fundamentals... You know, you'll obviously subconsciously maybe find yourself, you know, drawing yourself towards those and putting huge value on those stuff because we saw the importance of that stuff. And obviously then it's 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 your own philosophy and what you want to bring to it and, and to be able to use different aspects of it to make, you know, to shape your team or what you want your team to do. So I think without a doubt, I think, I think that's the basics where Henry would have probably started is just get the very, very simple things right with Galway and then you know take it from there mm. uh, obviously look I suppose he, he, he done that with his own club in Ballyhale mm. albeit you know a very talented outfit but um, yeah there's no doubt about it you you are what you've experienced and uh, you can see where that stacks up uh, and how that will benefit you when the pressure comes on and uh, how important that is and if the fundamentals like that are right uh, then you can put your little add-ons to that yeah. Kind of curious at full time, will there be a handshake and a stop and a few words and smiles or will it be millisecond of eye contact, handshake, off we go? 
Yeah, I suppose it, it, it depends how much action is close to the tomb and what the score is. Um, if it's hot and heavy there for the last couple of minutes, and there's a bit of action nearby and there's a couple of frees. But, um, you know, it's, it, it is a strange one because Henry Shefflin is ultimately, you know, coaching a team against his own teammates yeah. and his own nephew. So that's a that's a tough one in fairness. But, no, look, I, I no matter what happens, I think you, you'll definitely see the Brian Cody kind of stare maybe initially and when the whistle goes then he'll just he'll laugh and he'll shake hands with Henry there's there's there's, there's a very deep respect between the two of them and I think uh, I, I, I think it would take something astronomical to change that no matter what happens at some yeah point. no it would I like it's 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 going to be in its own way like a beautiful moment in some respects full time those two embracing each other in a smile and you know welcome to yeah. welcome to the big leagues kid from Cody and, and the, the fact that he's still there you know it's it's an amazing thing in, in so many different ways Absolutely, two competitors, uh, Joe, and that's the big thing. I said you're going to see two competitors, and Brian Cody will relish the challenge of of Henry, you know, stepping up because they're going toe to toe. Like yeah. that's the reality. The yeah. two boys are going toe to toe, and neither will want to blink. Neither will want to come out second best. But I think there's there's obviously a, a very very healthy respect there. But I think it's a great challenge for both. And um, Brian will love not more than to say, "I'm still here. I'm still standing." And 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 maybe Henry to to the same extent would love to say you know I've I, I've been able to take out a Brian Cody team which in the broader scheme of things is great reassurance for him maybe as a manager. Finally, who wins that one? Uh, Sorry, I'll rephrase I, that. Are you Team Shefflin or Team Cody? Oh, I'm Team Kilkenny. <laughs> <laughs> Does that answer your question, Joe? But no, I I I, I was in at the National Weekend against Leash. And I think Kenny are in a good position to go up to Galway. I think a few years ago, they got bullied up in Galway. Uh, they got physically out-muscled in Galway. I think they're in a good position. I think, you know, if you look at maybe Conor Whelan is a loss to, to Henry's team. But uh, I'd be confident that Kenny are going to get out here. Might be by the slimmest of margins, but I think they're in a good position to, to get a win in Galway. Listen, super. Great having you on. Thanks so much, Eddie Brennan. Great stuff. Massive stuff. Thanks, Joe. All the best.